Hi there, welcome to the Culture of Life podcast from Human Life International. I'm Tad Wojcik, the Mission Research Specialist, here with Father Shannon Bouquet. Tad, always good to be with you. Yes, absolutely, Father. I'm, I'm back to that, I guess. Um, <laughs> today we're talking about a Spirit and Life article you wrote recently, Father, about a pretty dark and um, honestly horrific subject. So we're going to try to avoid uh, the details of, of that uh, as much as we can. But if our listeners are interested more, I mean, we'll give a brief summary. But other than that, if our uh, listeners are interested in more details, they can head over to hli.org forward slash news um, and find the article entitled, uh, well, the article about um, uh, unborn children recovered recently in uh, Washington, D.C., so um, maybe, Father, just, just a brief summary sure. without too many of the gory details. Yeah, the, I mean, Chad, what, what stirred the article, obviously, is the current story that I, I'm confident that our, our listenership is quite familiar with now, and that is the finding of 115 uh, aborted children. Uh, and the, uh, the story really revolves around the fact that, first of all, that these 115 human beings had been so easily, not only their life snuffed out by the crime and violence of abortion, but also they were being treated as, as, as waste. And this is how the story really unfolds. And, and again, like you said, it, it, there's a lot of detail, there's a lot of um, imagery in the sense of pictures and so forth. And I would just direct people you know, to my article to, to click on the links and it'll help people understand the full, the full story and the people involved. But um, what happened was is that uh, ultimately, you know, three uh, pro-life uh, individuals, uh, three women in this case, you know, uh, were at there at, the, at this particular abortion clinic to to do vigil, to pray, to intercede, and uh, they recognized that a waste company was um, was picking up waste in the back of the building or somewhere near the building. And so when they uh, inquired uh, to the person, you know, do you, uh, do you know what's inside these boxes? And, and the person really did not. I mean, that's, their answer was, no, I don't know. And they said, well, this is what's inside the bo boxes. And, you know, recognizing that they are human beings that are being discarded, you know, aborted babies. And, you know, and could we, could we have them? And so this is how the story unfolds. And so the, what really stirred me, you know, to write the story was not only just to let our own, my own readership at HLI, you know, know about the story. Sometimes people miss these, these headline stories, uh, but also for, for us to talk about it, you know, because when we look at the advocacy that really the story is about, it's about intervening for those that no one, uh, the, for the ones who were voiceless, the ones that could not defend themselves from the violence of abortion, and in this situation, from another violence, and that is being discarded as rubbish, being treated as if they were thrown out a, a, a plastic bottle. And so this is really about an advocacy, advocacy for life from its very beginning, protecting, defending human life so it doesn't meet this kind of tragedy. And number two is, you know, and when we are faced with these situations, the, the call upon us, you know, to advocate, you know, for respectful treatment, you know, of these human beings that have been, uh, you know, whose life has been taken from them. So uh, that's what made me want to tell the story. And so again, I would, like you said, just repeating, there's a lot of detail, there's a lot of um, uh, important details in here, a lot of quotes. Uh, the, uh, actually, for those who are interested, there are pictures that were taken 
And the story unpacks itself. So I hope people will, will, will move to the article. And, mm-hmm. and, and, of course, I'm not just telling news. I'm writing a little bit more in the details and the whole issue of the principles of respect and, you know, the issue of abortion and the violence of abortion. But I, I also, you know, in the column by, you know, talking about advocacy. So I think that's what we're going right, to kind of yeah. talk about today, Ted. Yeah, and just a warning for anyone who does uh, want to further explore those details. It's very grim, very dark, uh, very disturbing. I myself didn't look at those pictures, but I'm sure they're pretty... Uh, Graphic and yeah, because yeah. and, and again, I, I didn't say this, but I, let me just note here that you know, one hundred of uh, of the children, you know, um, the are are, are you see images there, but you also will see the images of five, you know, children, you know, who are very close, who are, who are viability, you know, which means they were beyond the you know the twenty four twenty five week period and beyond. So they were, uh, you'll see images of that, and that's really what the story starts really unfolding is, you know, the how these particular children, you know, met their end, uh, not only uh, in the abortion facility, but the question is how. You know, it get, there's, there's the uh, uh, thought that or the way it looks that the children were born, you know, and uh, uh, one particularly born alive, you know, and how that child met its end. So there's a lot of uncertainty still, a lot of the story still unfolding. The sad thing is, and, and this is what kind of always is upsetting, is not only the fact that we're dealing with the, the, the horrific end of human life and these violent acts of abortion, but also, you know, the how sadly our culture, state, our government continues to protect the abortion industry. And even when things like this are exposed, when it's brought to the surface, when it's unmasked, and to see how thus far we have seen the FBI, the government, uh, the, the agencies that really should be call, asking questions, you know, uh, about these particularly particularly about the five children specifically, but they're not. Thus far, it's being ignored. It's being pushed aside. Now, granted, there are a lot of people still pushing back, but mm-hmm. the, the main line, government line right now, nothing's wrong. We don't see any crime in this. Even the, 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 the police uh, chief made a comment recently. You know, So the article kind of brings this out. It points you to those comments, and uh, people who are interested can go and you know look a little deeper. There's a lot of writing right now on it, uh, which is good because it exposes it, it brings it to the surface. And, you know, we should be appalled, you know, uh, you know, from, on every level of the story, every level, appalled by abortion itself, which I know we are, but to see, again, what this story is unmasked for us to see. Yeah, the uh, desecration of, of human life. They're not even allowed a proper burial. And, and we should mention the uh, majority of those children were uh, ultimately given a, a Catholic burial, right. um, but not those five uh, late-term uh, aborted children. So that's the kind of continuing tragedy here. Right. Oh, one of the main ones, at least. Anyway, um, moving from those details uh, that people can find elsewhere, um, you mentioned that we should be appalled, right? And that's the natural response to this sort of thing. The the Christian pro-life response, obviously, is, is being appalled. But um, what... Where do we go from there, Father? That's yeah. the that's the question we're going to focus on today. Absolutely, I think. And, yeah. and, I, and it's a great conversation to have, you know. And it's not one that our audience would be unfamiliar with, but it really is the call to advocacy. You know, when we consider the people who intervened in this situation, so uh, they were presented with an opportunity, and they recognized they could intervene and at least be able to provide, you know, a proper burial, you know, for the remains of these of these human beings. And and so then the story unfolded in a different way than uh, because of the um, because of all the details. 
but the, the advocacy component, the fact that, you know, that this wonderful uh, group of ladies and many, many others around our world are standing in solidarity with the unborn. And, you know, and also standing in solidarity with these women who feel that there's no alternative. They think that there's no uh, another path for them to take other than to end the life of their child. So there's so many ways that advocacy is unfolding itself. And this is what the story also helps, at least it did for me. You know, I kept asking myself, and even as someone who is already involved in advocacy, who's working in a Catholic apostolate, who's been engaged in this conversation for a number of decades now, you know, kind of telling my age, but I, I, I stepped back and I asked myself a question, you know, what am I doing? Am I doing enough? You know, and, you know, and we have staff members here at HLI who have been with us, you know, nearly 30 years. And I remember they started off, you know, uh, with uh, the rescuing children and rescuing their mothers and standing uh, in solidarity and being arrested, you know, and they were willing to put themselves on the line to protect human life and to protect the mothers from this violent crime and to say that this is wrong. And so we, we have a lot of people who have been involved in this, but every time I come across this kind of story, which this one made the headlines, there are many that don't. There, this is happening daily around our, our country, abortion mills, who are discarding the remains of human beings as if they were, were rubbish. So the, the, this is happening right in front of us every day and in our neighborhoods. And sometimes people drive by these places and don't even realize what's happening there. So for myself, when I was writing the article and, and reflecting on the story, I kept saying, what am I doing? Am I doing enough? What more could I, what, what else should I be doing? Uh, you know, obviously I can write about it. I can tell the story. I can reach out to the uh, audience of HLI. I can use this podcast as an opportunity. But is that enough? And, and I can write my senator. I can write my congresspeople. I can, you know, uh, write letters. I can do a lot. So, but is that enough? So here the question for each of us is we have to ask that question. And I'm hoping in that our conversation, brief as it will be today, is just going to do that. It's to make us ask. You know, not everybody's called to be like these these ladies who did what they did. And in that moment, they made a prudential decision how to intervene, and they moved forward. And, and, you know, and there are many people who make those kinds of decisions, you know, in front of abortion facilities when they intervene, when they enter into a conversation, when they try to, to uh, offer a word of counsel. You know, there, we know around our country you have so many uh, different difficulties in different uh, states because of state laws. You have, you know, safe zones, they call them, and you can't go beyond a certain point as a, as a sidewalk counselor. You can't be on the road. You can't. There's so many different things that kind of are in hindering, but yet people step over that line and they make those decisions because of the situation in front of them. And I admire that tremendously. And I know a lot of people who have been arrested multiple times, you know, stepping out in, 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 in places of great difficulty because this is how real this is. This and is, sometimes that's just literally stepping over a certain threshold. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and so, it, but we 500 all have feet or whatever from the door. Or yeah, something. exactly. And, and I mean, even not just in our own country, mm -hmm. you know, we, uh, HLI being a global, you know, uh, apostolic work, you know, we deal with different laws around the world. And I can tell you in Australia and New Zealand, you know, we think here in our states that, you know, the abortion industry has been successful in kind of hindering us. Step into other countries and you see how even more difficult it can be for our pro-life advocates. But in, in, I know just recently a law in New Zealand uh, was, uh, was passed, uh, again, tightening that restriction of our advocacy. So again, it's always before us. 
What can we be doing? And today I brought with me uh, a little for a little show and tell, so to speak, is uh, a wonderful uh, document that I know that our audience is going to be very familiar with, and that is the Gospel of Life, Evangelium Vitae. And if you're not familiar with it, here's a chance. Okay, I'm introducing it to you. It's it's uh, the landmark encyclical by John Paul II, and I'm going to focus primarily, Tad, on the latter part. And that is the, you know, what I love about the, the great works of John Paul, whether it was an apostolic exhortation, like Familiaris Consortio, or with this encyclical, the Holy Father most of the time ended with a call to action, you know, a pastoral plan, some, something calling us, you know, to be engaged. And in paragraph 95, so I'm really toward the end, you know, there's, there's 10 more paragraphs. And so in there, the Holy Father is, is challenging. I'm going to speak to myself now. He's challenging me, the reader of this encyclical, that, you know, what am I doing? What am I going to be engaged in? What what should I be doing? And he starts off by quoting St. Paul. You know, we are the we are the light of the world. And so obviously quoting Jesus, you know, and so who's speaking that you are light, the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You know, so what does that mean? And the Holy Father is reminding us we've been sent. We're being called, and he actually, before he moves to a prayer and reflection of Our Lady at the very end, he actually ends by telling us that this gospel of life is entrusted to every one of us. And and so whether we be Christian or not Christian, this message of life is for every one of us. So the Holy Father makes it clear that there are no people to sit on the sidelines. And what I mean by sidelines, when people become indifferent to this, and, and I think that's the first challenge of advocacy, is the, real, the whole understanding of the principle of solidarity and the fact that, you know, that I am my brother's keeper. And this is what starts this conversation, you know, the, the Good Samaritan here. And so to recognize that every, every woman who thinks that this is the only way to resolve her dilemma, that means I need to step forward. And if I could, Ted, I'd like to go back and talk about another subject, just very briefly, you know, the a heartbeat law in Texas. And uh, I've written on this a number of times, and we've talked about this in our podcast. But uh, one of my most recent articles, I complimented the state of Texas because not only did it, is, it, is it standing in solidarity through its law, protecting human life. Of course, I would love to see it 100%, and we're going to get there. But what they also did is they implemented or put together a, over $100 million of funding to support those who are working with women in these situations to give them a path that is completely different and to support them in their effort to keep their child or to, you know, to help them to, to move forward. That to me is a tremendous, it's the only state I know of that's done that. And I would really challenge and anyone who's listening who happens to work in state government, you know, please, this is, this is an advocacy. I mean, th- th- this is a state advocating for life, not only through its law, but in practice and saying, here, we're putting in $100 million is not chump change here. Mm-hmm. That's a substantial amount of money that can be used for good to support women in need, to support their children, and to protect families. I, 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 that, to me, is tremendous. And John Paul calls upon the state in Evangelium Vitae. He, he challenges the state to realize its responsibility and duty to protect human life. And the state of Texas through that law, is doing that. And through this, I won't call it a policy, I'm not sure how they how, how they wrote this into their law, but the $100 million being al- allocated toward this. But I would love to see that duplicated. So with that said, 
I got to return back to me now. So in this moment, when, the, when John Paul is talking about is for all of us who are listening, it's really to ask, you know, how am I engaged in this conversation? And, you know, for HLI, you know, our staff, we've talked about this, you know, of recent, you know, sometimes, you know, with people, they can't physically be engaged. They don't have the ability to interact in ways that we do here at HLI. But through their financial contribution, through their prayer, through their support, they are advocating for life. They're advancing a mission that's advocating for life. That's that's a, a way to do that. And many people do this in their dioceses, in their states, supporting their state pro-life organizations, supporting, you know, uh, whether it be 40 Days for Life or many other organizations that are their local pregnancy care centers. This is an advocacy. That's That's a phenomenal way to do it. And then you have those, like the ladies we talk about in the very beginning of the column, you know, who take it up, if I want to call it a notch, if you will, pick it up in the sense of moving now where people are out in front of these abortion facilities, intervening. The sidewalk counselors who are not just there in prayer vigil, they're there to intervene. They're there to engage in the conversation. I mean, and that steps up that now. And that's not made for everyone. But for me, I can't excuse myself. That's the first thing I would say. Well, that's not for me. Well, I might be right. Maybe it's not my gift. But I don't know unless I really ask myself that question and begin to talk about it with myself, with God in prayer, but also hopefully I have a spiritual director because that's where I should be holding these kinds of conversations. And in the words of Mother Teresa, you know, that I often think about in in Cardinal Seurat's book, The Power of Silence, he has a beautiful story about a a fellow cardinal who was a young priest uh, and who met Mother Angelica very early in his priestly life, had a great devotion, love of, our, of, of, of Mother Teresa. And long story short is he was asking Mother, what more could he do? And he went through the litany of saying, you know, I do this. And he went through a litany of things. And Mother pulled her chair up really close to him and said, it's never enough. Never enough. And I've never forgotten those words. And I think that's so true for me. And that's how when I, when I wrote this, this is what I was thinking. I mean, ultimately, it's never enough. You know, that, that these 115 uh, children should never have been in that situation. The 115 mothers who made that, that should never have been in that situation. And those three ladies who, uh, you know, who were there in that moment, uh, including the person working for the waste manager, should never have been in that situation because we shouldn't be there. And why are we there? So we've, we've not done enough, you know, and that's why it can never be enough. Each of us, on every level, and that's why John Paul begins paragraph 95 talking about this. And, and the whole encyclical, obviously, is about the principles and protection of human life. But as we move, navigate toward the end, you know, John Paul, as he beautifully does, he's thinking the same way that each of us who are pastors, you know, okay, I, here's the message, here are the principles, here are the teachings, now what do we do with it? And that's what John Paul did. You know, he, he moved the conversation and said, okay, here's all the teaching. This is what's happening. This is what the difference between culture of life and culture of death is. This is why the culture of death is advancing. Then he gets to the very, toward the very end, and he says, okay, now we're being sent. Jesus is sending us out. You know, we, we're called to evangelize. We are called to go out. And we need to, to really ask ourselves, how can we do that? And I would say that each and every person listening uh, right now, and that, you know, in, 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 our, in reading the article, I hope that will make them pause and do the same thing, you know, and, and I can tell you, I'm still, you know, in prayer asking, what more should I be doing? What more can I do? And, you know, many times, Tad, people will say, you know, well, what, can you give me examples? 
Can you, can you give me some ideas of what I could be doing? Or what would be a, a, a positive way, you know, to make a difference? And what I would say there is, again, you have to know your own skills, your own abilities, your own limitations. And, and with that, there are many great people that have skills that could be doing far more in this. Let me give you an example. When I think about people who are lobbyists for the pro-life movement, these are very skilled individuals, very knowledgeable, very articulate, very strong in a sense of being able to engage in conversation uh, and to engage people in very, very important positions and to advance a cause, advance a mission, advance a, 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 an agenda that is not in the narrative of our country. Now, there are people that, that have that skill set and, and need to have those skills in order to do that. We have people working in pro-life advocacy through law you know, actual lawyers and, and clerks that are helping people to, to advance this. You know, there's so many different ways. I've worked with legislators, you know, people sitting in our state uh, houses and, uh, and even on, on the national level uh, that are, are again, they're, they're not just engaged on, in, in their state. They go back into their communities. They go back into their, into their own, uh, if they're Catholic, in their own parishes. They're involved. I worked very closely with a, a state congresswoman you know, for a number of years, advancing the pro-life message. And so there's, everyone's just got to keep asking. And I know, Tad, when people are going to read this, and because I think you, you and I talked about this, you know, before coming in today for our podcast, you know, are we called to do exactly what these, these ladies did? Maybe. That's because, again, we just need to ask ourselves, what am I doing? And, and with that, I think of Jorge Serrano. Uh, just for some reason, he just comes to my mind. He's our, uh, we've worked with Jorge since the early 1970s when Jorge uh, Serrano and Magdalena, his wife, met Father Paul Marx, our founder, in the early 70s. And, you know, and he left a meeting, I think it was in Houston, if I remember the story completely, and he said to his wife, what are we doing? You know, they were already active. They were already, you know, he's, a, he's an attorney. He went back in, uh, you know, in those early days, went back to school to get, you know, training in theology and in the church's teaching, and actually eventually got a master's in bioethics, you know, to, to help him to advance this cause. Because of him asking that question, there are now nearly uh, over 160 pregnancy care centers throughout Latin America serving women, their children, and families. Because Jorge and Magdalena asked a question. And that's really what I'm after here. Is, and now, are, are all of our listeners, are they saying, okay, do I got to start a pregnancy care center? No, but maybe. You know, there's so many things that we can be doing. And then the challenge really is, is, is to look at the situations and, you know, like the ladies that we talk about in the column, they made a prudent decision in that moment, or I should say a prudential decision, I should say, to intervene in the way they did. You know, and I think that's the real challenge. I mean, I've been with people at abortion facilities where I've watched councils intercede in a way that the case demanded, but they would never have done that in a different kind of situation. So it takes wisdom, it takes a lot of prayer, it takes a lot of uh, openness to the movements of the Spirit of God that pushes us and guides us and, and molds us and to help us to do things we never thought we would do. And, and I think that's the real challenge what John Paul was after here. And so he even talks about educators, teachers. 
you know, so in like in our Catholic system, do we talk about this? We, we, you and I are doing today, many other podcasters are doing, and many good Catholics involved in the, in the pro-life movement are very engaged in this. But how many people have never heard what we're talking about? How many people, you know, good Catholics have never even heard of Evangelium Vitae, the gospel of life? How many people have never even opened its pages? You know, the same way, Tad, when you and I talked about Humanae Vitae on human life, a little, one of the shortest beautiful encyclicals, and people complain about it but never read it. And so how can you be against something when you don't know what it says? And so here, you know, in parishes, this is something I, I, I integrated into pastoral ministry, in, in catechesis, but also in, in, in the outreach in the parish. Because we're not just, John Paul's not just talking about the issue of abortion. He is addressing issues of euthanasia. He's addressing any and all issues that affect the dignity of human life. Anything that disrespects human persons, he's addressing here. So, so it's, I say that because I don't want people to walk away, well, well, it's just about abortion. It's not. He's, he's looking at the preeminent issue, right? And it is, but he's, he's stretching it to, to look at all of it. And so that goes back now to what I said earlier. What am I doing? You know, and so we can be talking about, you know, working with people in hospice care. You know, another issue today that's, that's really in the, in, the, in the scope of the culture of death, because sadly, many people are being treated from a utilitarian point of view. That's in a place where people can bring their skill, bring their gifts to intervene on behalf of our elderly, our sick, our dying. You know, so th- what about advocating, you know, for those who cannot advocate like children with Down syndrome? You know, when you look in Great Britain and you look in the Netherlands and you look at many other parts of the world where a child that's diagnosed in the womb with Downs is often put to death, never sees the light of day, you know? And so how are we advocating, you know, for those who have no voice? There's so many ways, Tad, that this conversation can be discussed. And my intention in the article, our intention in our podcast really is just that, is to prick the conscience of everyone who's listening, reading, and make them hopefully do what I'm doing. What am I doing? What more can I be, how, what else can I do? So, so that's kind of where I am with the column. It's, it's, it's what stirred me. The story stirred me. It made me angry, actually, and it upset me, you know, to, to once again have this um, uh, horror, you know, uh, be visible again. And, and it needs to be visible. It needs to be seen for what it is. And, um, and, and for that, I'm grateful you know, that it's been exposed. Uh, and, but still, it just upsets me so much that, you know, that, uh, that every time I hear of, a, of an abortion, it, it always makes me think, what more could we have done? What more should we have done? Could we have done more, you know, to, to give this person, uh, you know, the an option, something different? And that's where I go back to Texas. I think that that's an example. It's not a perfect, you know, uh, setup yet. But the idea here, we have to keep doing this. I remember and another advocacy, this is out of Houston, Texas, it's kind of interesting. It's St. Michael's down in Houston near the, uh, the Galleria. And I'll, I will never forget this. I had started going to Houston when I was a young boy. My dad worked in the oil industry and uh, as a riverboat captain, you know, pushing all these barges up and down the Mississippi and, and major rivers. And I remember going to Houston and seeing St. Michael's. And it was a huge sign. It's still there. It's a different sign now, but it's still there. The message is still there. And basically it says this. And it's sponsored by the parish, but it's really sponsored by the Knights of Columbus. And it says, you know, any per- woman who finds herself in a difficult situation, we're here. So basically that parish has said, we are here for you. We will help you. That abortion is not, should not be the answer. We are here. And that sign's in front lawn 
dead center in the heart of, tech, of, of Houston, right inside the, the, the major district, right around the Galleria, one of the major Gallerias and malls. People pass by it all the time. It's on off of Westheimer Boulevard, Major Boulevard. And it, it, to me, that always touched me. And it made me think, as, even as a young, young boy, you know, a young teenager, and then going through, you know, into adulthood, that is an example to me. That's a witness. And so I think that's, that is a positive story. And how many, how many have been helped by that parish, by those individuals? And then if we multiply that around our country, around our world, we are making a difference. And we have made a powerful impact. But as long as there is one, we still have much to do. One is unacceptable. So that's what upset me with this, you know, is, is that, you know, we're not doing enough. You know, we're never doing enough. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a critical, you know, uh, way. I just mean simply for what it says. You know, as a church, you know, as a, as, a, as a local parish, as a local diocese, you know, people of God, people of faith, people of life, this should upset us. And it should say, what more should we be doing? And that, that to me is what I'm hoping the column will do. So that's a kind of a uh, so it's a call to arms. Kind of what I'm doing is and not not weaponry arms. A call to arms, call to faith, call to step forward. Right, and well, maybe we can just. Uh, uh, <laughs> you made a little note at the end of that uh, exhortation, Father. So we we are called to action. Um, you know, prayer and work, prayer and action. Right, um, some something. Uh, contemplative and something uh, right. material, right, Martha and Mary. Right. But um, you know, as you mentioned, there 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 can be a tendency among some people to kind of let the action go first, right? right. right. Uh, and that's why you said not to arms, mm-hmm. as in you know, it's kind of unfortunate that we have to even make that caution. But there are, it is such an emotional and passionate issue that um, there have been responses that have not been good in the past with, uh, you know. Uh, fighting fire with fire, uh, right. two wrongs, it's not going to make a right. No, exactly. Um, and so maybe we can talk uh, a little bit on that front, uh, Father, about how there are situations where we do have to do things that um, many people might consider drastic, that may even be illegal in some way, but are never immoral, right? They're never, uh, you know, if there's, um, I don't know, maybe we could just, not sure. too long, but uh, yeah. just kind of, well, let's talk, let's talk about just, for example, like the sidewalk counselors. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, I'm not going to name any state because I know a few state laws, but things change so quickly. Yeah. So I don't want to name a state, but I know a few states that I'm aware of that have these bubble zones. So basically they've created a zone where, you know, uh, a, a, a sidewalk counselor, a pro-lifer cannot be. And I know per people personally who always cross that line. All right. And I know they have been arrested many times over. And I think that, you know, that's an, that's an example that are, that individual has to make for themselves. So for me to say, well, everyone should be doing that, that would be wrong, all right? Uh, and, and so the, but that individual has to make that decision, you know, for themselves. The law is the law. They say, well, you should not be beyond this so many feet or so many yards. And that's what the law says. But we're dealing with something that is unjust. The murder of an innocent child is an unjust law of our country. I'm hoping that it'll be changed very soon. But it is an unjust law. And I have to recognize that there is something of great importance here, and that's the human life of that child and the life of that child's mother. And so so in that moment, that individual makes that decision. Am I going to follow her to that point? And in many cases, they do. That's where they stop. 
But there could be a given moment when something just moves them. And it could be that maybe she said something that, that said, wait, there's something there. So I need to keep going. And it's a difficult, you know, moment. And I know people, you know, who do this on a daily basis. And I know some of our own you know, HLI um, uh, affiliates. One in particular, you know, that was with us for many years, still with us. You know, he's no longer serving as our director because now he's doing a family practice and counseling, and uh, which is beautiful. So he's still very much involved in life. But, you know, Johannes was arrested 12 times, you know, in, uh, in Vienna, standing outside of one of what I would consider one of the more vile abortion facilities now uh, closed because of our advocates, because they stood their ground and, and witnessed to life. And, and so, but I can tell you many stories, Tad, you know, of many of those people out there who were just, I mean, violated themselves as counselors. I mean, they were, uh, you know, uh, incited by others. I mean, people come and trying to get them to step over the line, if you will, to react. You know, pr- uh, you know uh, there's video of one of our uh, great friends there that, that, that's been captured, uh, and that was, they, they prodded him, poking him, just trying to provoke him. And he, within, rem- within reason, he accepted all of it, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, and I remember seeing that video going, I was, I was very upset. And I'm thinking, God, could I do that? Could I stand there and, and not say anything, you know, and not respond the way they want? And eventually they, they just gave up. But, but that takes great courage, you know, in a, in a way that I had to ask myself, do I have that kind of courage? You know, when I would want to maybe reach out and respond, but that's not the response. And so, so these are the things that have to be really a case by case, situation by situation. And you have to know your own gifts and your own ability, you know. And so, but what you just said is very important is two wrongs never make a right. You know, doing something that uh, is immoral. Uh, you know, for example, there were those at one time that believed that, you know, that we should, go, we should, we should take the life of an abortionist because we're saving many more people. Well, no, sorry, that's incorrect. And so we, we need to recognize that there are limits, there are boundaries, there are moral boundaries, and, there, and those boundaries are clear. And in our response, and if we read the Evangelium Vitae, John Paul talks about that. He actually makes it very clear what our boundaries are and what our principles are and what guides our principles and how we are to respond and even react, how we are to react to situations. Now, it's not a, 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 a to-do book. Okay, so it doesn't, you know, A happens, do B. No, it's setting principles down. And that's what I love about our church. Our church sets forth principles, you know, and, you know, the whole principle of, of the law of God, do not kill. So obviously, you know, we recognize that there is a great crime that's being done in that, in that building to that individual. So that's what brings us there. That's what places us in that moment. And so like, you know, Johannes, Sometimes, you know, you have to uh, maybe go that extra mile. And I have been in places myself uh, where I uh, stand in solidarity with others who are witnessing. And uh, I've seen with my own eyes, you know, people being arrested, you know, because they stood in front of a door or they, they lined up and formed a human chain with their arms just trying to block entrance, and, which, is, which was illegal. And so, but we stood there and, you know, I just happened not to be, I happened to be further down the line, you know, and not near, near toward the end. I wasn't the one arrested, you know, but, uh, but the first five were because they were right in front of the doors. So the police didn't deal with anyone else. And so, and when others tried to get back together and form it again, then that just created, you know, a little more difficulty with the police and so forth. But those are examples that happen daily. 
And what I would say, you know, to anyone who is already engaged, thank you. For those that are already active, thank you. For those that are thinking, what more can I be doing? What should I be doing? I would suggest, you know, talk about it. Find a friend who shares the, the heart, mind, and soul. Talk to someone and say, what more can I be doing? How can I help? Maybe talk to a fellow pro-lifer that's already active. Talk to the spiritual director. But I would say that you have to know yourself. And I'm going to share this story. Keep the names out. And so, but this was a gentleman that was assisting in, uh, in prayer vigil and also eventually was moving toward doing a little counseling, sidewalk counseling, advocacy. And one day he just, it, it was too emotional and it got the better of him. And he really recognized it. And unfortunately, you know, it, uh, it, 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 he crossed the line, not in, in a good way. He allowed his emotions to get the better of him. And he, but he was, had the mind enough to pull back. And so I happened to, to, to meet this person and, and he, he, he asked me, he says, I, I want to be involved, but I, I'm, I'm getting so upset now these days and I'm getting angry at what I'm seeing. And so my advice to him, well, it was time to pause. It was time to step back for a moment, regroup. And so Tad, what you mentioned earlier, uh, as you started this little part of this segment, is back to prayer. And my suggestion was, is that one, it's time to go back to prayer. I mean, always praying, always praying, always praying. So, but for him, maybe that fell apart. I don't know. All I know is that little part that I was introduced to. But my recommendation is, it's time to, to pull back. Take, a, take time to be rejuvenated, refreshed. Talk to your spiritual director. Talk to your confessor. Talk to a fellow pro-life leader. But then I found out, I said, tell me, what do, you, what do you do for a living? What's your profession? And he told me. I said, well, you ever thought about helping? You know, in this case, he was a general contractor. And I said, you ever thought about maybe working with the pregnancy care centers for a while? They're always looking for renovation, for plumbing, electrical, you know, improving their facilities to help our women and help, you know, our children and families. And his response was, well, will that make a difference? And of course it makes a difference. And so he stepped out of the, uh, of the kind of front line for a moment and stepped into a not always seen place, but was able to support the life cause. And eventually, you know, because I still talk to him once in a while, he's back you know, doing both now. But he, he regrouped. He needed, he needed to, to refresh his spirit and, and to be able to, to not be caught up in that emotion, which can be very real. And as you said in the very beginning of our podcast, Tad, it can be a dark place. It can be a very difficult place. And it can be filled with a lot of uh, emotion. And if we're not guided by the Spirit of God, if our prayer lives are not very strong and anchored, and we're not really being guided by that relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who sends us out on mission, who is, it's his mission, it's, this is his ministry. And if we, don't, if we forget that and we focus only on ourselves and we think about this is my work, quote unquote, the danger begins to happen. And, and so we lose sight. And sometimes we just need to pull back and, and, and refocus. And so I guess one way to what I would encourage is two things. This is what I used to do in parish ministry in working with pro-life work is we, being Catholic, you know, we have our beautiful sacraments. We have our, our great liturgies. And of course, what's so beautiful, we have the Holy Mass. So supporting holy hours. And one thing I, I, we would do is I would gather, you know, the leaders and we talk and, you know, and we would spend time in prayer together and we do it periodically. Again, the Lord doesn't build the house in vain to the builder's labor, you know, and that's very, very important because again, it's not my work. 
And just like serving Human Life International, this is not my ministry. This is our Lord's ministry, and it's His work. And I just am joyfully privileged to be able to serve it and to give of myself to it. And, and that, that needs to be a constant reminder. And what I would say uh, in closing this little segment of sharing with you is having stood and still stand at times outside of abortion facilities in prayer vigil and intercession and in counsel, um, you, have, you have to, if, you, if you're not grounded, and uh, there are many times, you know, you're thinking inside of you, especially when you're being confronted, not by the women coming. Sometimes it, it, that can get very emotional, but a lot of times it's the pro-advocates for abortion that are out there. And they're the ones that get in your face. They're the ones that really, you know, try to provoke you. And, you know, you have to really be able to be calm, to be relaxed, to be gathered in your thought. And I have to be honest, sometimes, you know, I, I've never reacted uh, to date. I've never, I hope I've never crossed that line. But I have to tell you, sometimes I'll walk away in those moments and I feel very upset, you know, and angry at that individual. And But then when I go back to prayer, I'm reminded, you know, that I'm called to love that person to care about them. And that's why I'm out there, and that's why all these people are out there. But I learned that in prayer. I learned that by going back to the one who loved me first and remembering that's what I'm called to do. And so that's why this beautiful advocacy is really a circle. It's, 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 a, it's a complete circle. It's not broken. It starts with love and it ends with love. Love of advocacy is intervention, and it's what recognizing that God so loved the world, he intervened. So that's what makes me intervene. That's what this advocacy is about. And so um, I think it's a great moment, you know, for all of us, you know, who today who are listening, you know, and I'm hoping that some people are, will walk away from our time together, Tad, uh, in this podcast and, 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 and say, okay, let me bring this to prayer and, 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 and really st- give themselves to something before them. I mean, I, I've met people like that just because a priest preached on, some, on the homily and people were, were, were caught. Uh, and I've heard people, you know, who meet someone over a cup of coffee and they say, you know, what do you do every Saturday? I see you drive out, out of your, your yard every Saturday morning at seven o'clock in the morning. You know, where do you go? You don't work on Saturday, right, Bob? Oh, no, I, I, I pray at the, uh, at the Planned Parenthood abortion facility, uh, you know, a couple of blocks from here. What? It's, it's, there's so many ways that people are introduced to this. And I hope that this, this podcast will do that. I hope it will touch hearts. And the story, I hope people will go back and look at it. I am um, grateful that it was unmasked. I'm disappointed that obviously that we have these kinds of stories. It's very painful, but I'm grateful that it's, it's been exposed. And we have to work as advocates not to let it be buried. We have to make sure that the story doesn't disappear. And we, we know this with other abortionists that we've confronted over the decades who have done not only the heinous crime of abortion, but who have done other things, you know, to hide what they're doing uh, that are, from a legal point of view, that are illegal. And we need to keep bringing it up. We need to keep it out there. We need to kind of, we need to show that this is wrong across the board from the get-go. Abortion is wrong. It's immoral. It's destructive. It's violent. A life is lost every time. That needs to be never forgotten. And that we need to do more to help women to realize this is not the answer. And that's, that's a call. It's, 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 so we are the light of the world. So let's let that light shine. Let it shine brightly. Let it shine brilliantly 
for all to see. And I, I, I'm praying for everyone that's involved in this story, and I'm praying specifically for the, the ladies that are involved. They're going to suffer greatly. And we know this from, you know, uh, David Daleiden and many others. You know, when they step up and you put yourself out there, you're, you're going to face the enemy fate, uh, head on. And the devil doesn't back off, you know, and he's uh, he's continuing to push. That's why this is a spiritual battle, too. So that's why I love about our podcast, Ted. We we try to talk about both sides. We, we keep it, mm-hmm. we, you know, recognizing this is a, we have real things, reality issues, but we also have the real issue that it's a spiritual battle, too. Mm-hmm. And you know, and exactly, Father, with this issue, it's it's just like we said. There's a there's a prayer and action. I mean, that's really the Catholic life is is a, is a combination of that. And like the great, I like to go back to Fulton Sheen, and he he would preach often about uh, uh, if the church becomes too much of a church of just uh, you know prayer, as maybe was the tendency in previous generations, but ignoring. Uh, the man on the street, or whatever the issue of the day is, that's not good. That's not Christian. Neither is it Christian to go full bore, only action, forget about praying, forget about being solemn, forget about worship. We just got to, you know, go, you know, get in over our heads, basically, and kind of do the action, right? It's both, both and. You know, Dr. Brian Close, you know, one of our staff, and who's great pro-life advocate, you know, for, for decades, you know, and uh, we, we often say this when we talk about activism, uh, especially in the mission field. It's part of our training and teaching. God first, family second, pro-life third. So God first, family, pro-life. When you get out of that order, something happens. And I, Now, people may take that the wrong way because we don't have enough time to explain all that, right. but just think about it for a moment. God is God, and God deserves the worship and the praise. He deserves all of me, 100% of me. And if, I, if I'm if i a married man, married woman, my family, you know, is, 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 is my vocation. And then obviously from that vocation is what we're talking about. I'm called to give of myself totally to the great work of God. And so that can be in pro-life advocacy. It can be in many family advocate programs. It can be in many ways of working with the poor and the indigent. It can be many ways of serving humanity. Back to John Paul II's Evangelium Vitae. You know, where so serving human life. But if that becomes so focused in my life, it becomes the primary and my family suffers and then my relation with God suffers, something's wrong. And eventually what happens is that pro-life work becomes something wrong too. It leads to some not so good decisions. So it's not, you know, it's a balance. It's it's really the balance. God first, love of God with all of my heart, mind, and soul, all of me, love God. Give God what is rightfully his, which is myself, in whose image and likeness I have been made. If my vocation is to the married life, then my love for my my wife, my husband, my children, my family, my primary vocation, my uh, fundamental vocation in the sense of what God has called me to live in a state of life and to serve him in this capacity. You know that. I've met people, you know, who are very active in our great cause, and but I know there are some families that have struggled because their focus is so much. And that's great. I, I don't want to diminish that at all. But at the same time, there's this responsibility and duty. It's a balance. It's a balance. And when anything gets out of balance, they all suffer. So it's kind of thinking of a three-leg table. <laughs> Pull one leg. The other two might do a pretty good job for a while. Try. But eventually that table is going to come down. And so that's what Dr. Brown and I talk about all the time. And it's, again, and it's not to overemphasize. It's just to say there's the balance. 
So unless the Lord builds this house, it's in labor. It's all for naught. Or it's in vain. In vain, in vain do the laborers right, right. work. Right. So, it's a, so it's just the idea that to think about that, to really, and I think that's a beautiful prayer. Ponder that scripture passage. And, and so just, you know, and, and let that be the guide. And if the Lord is building this house, if the Lord is the one that fills the cup, then everything is about, it falls, it falls into place, right? But it will not fall in place if it's the flip. Mm-hmm. And so that's the danger. So I think that's a great way for us, you know, to, and that, I think that's great for the work that we're doing. And, if, and, and I try, and it's a good way to remind myself today as we're talking, I often, 99.9% of the time in my columns, always end with a call to prayer. And, and, I, and I, I, I try to remind myself that this is God's work. And we have to pray and we have to ask. And our Lord says, ask and it shall be given. So we keep asking. And he says, seeking you'll find. We keep seeking and we keep knocking. And so, and uh, uh, I think I've shared this before and I'll, I'll end you know, with that. It's an image that I love to pray with. It's my personal little image uh, that I think about every day. And I am not raising myself to any position of glory here, all right, by any means. I'm just, this is my, my prayer and my way of thinking is, you know, I often in my nightly prayer, I think of armor. You know, we, we've talked about this before in our podcast. And the idea is to put on the armor of Christ, you know. And, and so St. Paul mentions and tells us. And I often think that every night when I finish my nightly compliment, I take off my armor and I get out my little hammer and I knock all the dents out of it. You know, I get my extra piece of metal and fill in the holes, all the things that needed to be, that need to be repaired, and then hang it on a hook. And the first thing in the morning is, got to put it back on and go right back out, knowing that it's going to get dented again. It's going to get, uh, you know, chinked in many ways, and here we are. And that night, come back home again, knock out the dents. And what knocks out the dents is, is knowing that this is the work of the Lord. He's the one that is, this is all for. So it helps me to remember, you know, that uh, alone I can do nothing, but with him all things become possible. And, and that's how I know this kind of story we, we have conquered and we will, we will conquer because we're going to conquer hearts. And that's what frightens the other side so, so badly, you know, so much, I should say, is because they've already lost. Inevitably, they've lost. But because the, because of the law and because of where we are, we still got to get out there and we still have to win hearts and minds. And so the first heart that has to be won is mine. And so that's, I think that's just a wonderful way to, to keep it in mind. It keeps me humble, too, I hope. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Father, for your reflections um, today. And uh, hopefully that was, we, we've given some people pause, maybe uh, given people a chance to think, okay, what, what can I be doing? Um, how, how, you know, how can I take this a step further? Prayer and action and, you know. Thank you very much, Father. Um, okay. And thank you all for turning in, uh, t- tuning in, <laughs> tuning in. Um, please, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like, and subscribe, uh, turn on notifications. If you're listening to us on, uh, Apple or Spotify or Amazon, please subscribe and, uh, follow us. And, uh, otherwise keep on living the culture of life. We'll see you next week. God bless. God bless.